This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Around the Dial. Your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. It's the best of sports talk for Thursday, January the 10th. I'm your host, D.A., and before we get to the playoff game for the NFL this weekend, there's lots of coaching vacancies to be filled and that are being filled. And let us start in New York, where the New York Jets are reportedly going to hire Adam Gase, the former Dolphins head coach that was just fired a couple of days ago. So Gase lands at his feet in the division But that means that the Jets said no to former Super Bowl winning head coach Mike McCarthy. And it felt like all Jets fans wanted McCarthy instead of Gase. On WFN in New York, two huge Jets fans, Joe and Evan, Joe Beningo and Evan Roberts, weighed in on their thoughts. And as you might imagine, they're not thrilled. You and I and any other real Jet fan who hates this hire are hoping we're wrong. Oh, oh yeah. Oh no. I, I want to be course. right. Of course we no, no I want look, I want I want to come on here one day and say, "Boy, was I wrong about Adam Gaze as you and I are off to the Super Bowl wherever it is." Of course. That's what that's what we want. Of course. Uh, wherever you know, I want to yeah, after we had just come back from the AFC Championship game, okay? At MetLife. At beautiful MetLife Stadium, all right? Okay, how about that? And we'll say, "Man, at boy, was I wrong? How great a coach is this Adam Gaze?" I want to say that because, but why should, what tells me that I will? Oh, nothing. But both of us would rather be wrong and happy than right and miserable. Of course. But here's some of the things I've heard about Adam Gase. I've heard he's a quarterback whisperer from many in the media, including Sarah Huckabee Meta. Okay. I've heard that from him as well. Sarah Huckabee Meta. You like that? I think Meta's part of the team. I think the the team might be McCagnan, Heimerdinger, and Meta. Maybe. They might be calling all the shots for the Jets. Maybe. Who knows? He developed Ryan Tannehill. He developed Ryan Tannehill. Oh, yeah, he did a great job. Ryan Tannehill was basically the same before he got here than after. Right. He stunk, and he couldn't wait to badmouth his quarterback, right? Didn't he do that in a press conference? And the fact that he gets credit, this kills me, too. Peyton Manning. Let's be Dove could be the offensive coordinator for Peyton Manning, and he looked good. Yeah. He revitalized his career. Nonsense. It's Peyton freaking Manning. He didn't develop Peyton Manning from day one in Indianapolis. Who's kidding who? So how the hell does he get credit for Peyton Peyton Manning? And Peyton Manning, I guess, apparently, in his ultimate, and we want to thank Peyton because he didn't want to play for the Jets back in 1997 when he could have came out of school and been the number one pick in the draft and he would have been going to the Jets. He didn't want any part of him. And now Peyton Manning calls up, apparently, right? This is what I heard. Uh He calls up Christopher Johnson. Oh, you got to hire Adam Gaze. He's the man. Well, of course. Oh, thank you, Peyton. Joe, of course, Peyton Manning wants his coffee boy to get a job. That's sweet. Peyton Manning. He's a good friend. It is ridiculous for Adam Gaze to get any credit for Peyton Manning. None. I don't care how much Peyton loves him. He gets no credit for him. Peyton's his own coach. Of course. Especially at that point in his career. Please. So we're giving him credit for Ryan Tannehill. We're giving him credit for Jake Cutler. Oh, oh, yeah. Here's the reality. Right. This is the reality. Todd Bowles 
was the coach of the Jets when Josh McCown was at his best <laughs> and when Ryan Fitzpatrick was at his best. Right. So Todd Bowles a has a better track record oh with God. quarterbacks than this guy. And you know what else is funny? This makes me laugh. And I see this all over with Gaze. Well, Gaze was 5-1 and one against the Jets. Correct. Boy, if you can't beat Todd Bowles five out of six times, you, you should be coaching high school somewhere. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. Like, that's a big deal. He went 5-1 and one against Bulls. Oh, wow. Yippee. I mean, come on. But we also hear he's a leader. Oh, of course. Yeah, he's a great oh, leader. Oh, my Half God. his locker room didn't like him. Right. And right. I also hear, well, Adam didn't have a lot of talent. Well, two things about this. He did have talent and chased him away. Right. Like Jarvis Landry. Right, that's oh, but true. Jarvis Landry's a jerk. Right, Don't course. use him. Well, of course. And didn't he have power over the 53? So he had some yep. say over his own yeah. roster, which everyone loves to make an excuse wasn't that good to begin with. And that Miami miracle was created because he's the one who decided to punt with five and a half minutes to go and give the football yep. back yep. to Tom Brady yep. and Bill Belichick. Yep. Yep. Good. Sounds like Jets fans are excited, huh? That is really the tenor of most Jets fans in New York, just slicing and dicing this higher which is funny because most people around the NFL that know Adam Gase say that he's got a lot of chops to be a successful head coach. Even people in Miami that saw him fired said that they think he's going to become a great head coach. As miserable as the Jets' modern experience is, it's pretty miserable equally in Miami as well. So if there is some type of silver lining of your Jets fan, maybe it's wouldn't it be so Dolphins for Gase to be fired there and then go on in the division to become a great head coach? Sorry, I'm ducking rotten fruit right now. Jets fans don't want to hear it. In Cleveland, the man is not Greg Williams. It's not Josh McDaniels. It's Freddie Kitchens. Freddie Kitchens has one of the most amazing rises up the coaching ladder ever because he was just the running backs coach earlier to the season. And then he was elevated midseason to his first offensive coordinator position. And now he's the head coach in one fell swoop, one 16-game schedule. He goes from running backs coach to head coach. An amazing turn of events that Ken Carmen and Anthony Lima discussed on 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland. Whether you're comfortable with it or not, Nothing against Freddie at all. I like Freddie Kitchens, and I, I told you last week, I yelled at you, Anthony. I go, if you're, if you're holding him over about all this, we'll just make him the head coach. Make him the head coach, and they did. This is the power handing off to Baker Mayfield. This is, this is the franchise officially. I, it's all in, well, he's your franchise quarterback, and he's the most important guy, and all that's theorem and things like that. This is official, where... Folks, Freddie Kitchens is not the head coach if Tyrod Taylor was playing the entire year. He's not the head coach if Drew Stanton had to play. He's not the head coach if he was here last year. He's not the head coach of anything. It's because of how he works with Baker Mayfield. This is the decision, not where not where Baker was standing there and, and he made the ultimate decision. No, they got that all cleared up and they said that the, the, the room made the decision. But don't think for a second that this decision isn't based purely on how this offense and how this football team operates with Baker Mayfield. Because they didn't think that anybody else was going to come in and do this. Freddie Kitchens gets this job because of the work he did with your franchise quarterback. This is Peyton Manning-level power, where every decision is ran basically through him, whether you, whether you think you're doing it or not. 
This is the franchise officially being handed over to him. If if Tom Brady were to retire last year and they were to draft him in New England, they wouldn't have done this. If they were if if Bill Belichick would have retired and then they were looking for a head coach this year, they wouldn't have done this in New England. They wouldn't have done this in a lot of other organizations. This is this is where they've looked at Baker and said you've answered every single challenge, which he has. You've answered the challenge of dealing with all this. Your relationship is that close with Freddie Kitchens. You wouldn't want to mess up a good thing. So now Freddie Kitchens is the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. This is ba- Freddie Kitchens is the head coach. He's the guy who wears the hat. But this is a power handing off officially to your franchise, to your hopes, to your dreams, to Baker Mayfield. Might be an acknowledgement that Baker's different from anybody else. And how is Baker different from anybody That's else? That's true. How many quarterbacks, 23 years old, have publicly feuded with three head coaches? Harmon is right. This is all about Baker Mayfield. Because of the way Baker took off second half of the season, because of the way the offense looked, because of what Baker means to that franchise, they wanted to stay comfortable and confident that Baker had a relationship with the coach. And let's face it, Freddie Kitchens did a great job of getting the most out of Baker in the second half of the season. Now, maybe part of that is just anybody but Hugh, A-B-H, but give Kitchens credit because it worked, and they won five games down the stretch, which is kind of amazing considering they won one game total over the last two years. But it does make you wonder if the Browns put too much emphasis on just one eight-game stretch instead of really looking at a guy that they trust long-term. Remember, the Cleveland Browns coming into the offseason were supposedly the most intriguing opening across the league, and they decided to go with a first-time head coach who only has eight games of coordinator experience. In Chicago, Vic Fangio leaves as defensive coordinator, becomes the head coach in Denver for the Broncos. And so what does this mean for the Bears' defense. We saw them lose in the wild card round of the playoffs last week in unbelievable fashion as Cody Parkey hits the upright and then the crossbar. So in Chicago, they're looking for a new defensive coordinator and wondering if they can keep the same personality and mentality that helped the Bears ascend to the NFC North crown. A guy that went through this, Otis Wilson, is one of the greats in Chicago Bears history, and he reflected back on when he lost his defensive coordinator when Buddy Ryan left the 85 Bears after the Super Bowl to take over as head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. My man Otis on the score, 670 in Chicago. We're talking about how you uh, replace a guy that uh, leaves a pretty good legacy as a coordinator. And, of course, you lived through that. You lived through that with uh, Buddy Ryan when he went to Philadelphia. And uh, Vince Tobin came in. And uh, the numbers of the defense – were very good, statistically very good, but but things were different, weren't they? No, no doubt about it. I mean, you know, anytime you you know you know Fangio, you know, really worked himself into a position where, you know, he had a lot of success, and you know, you get rewarded for that success. You know, the bad part about it sometimes is when you leave a defense behind. You know, sometimes it can be good, sometimes it can be bad. I know for us. Speaking personally, you know, we went from a dominating defense to a, just an all right defense. I mean, all the aggressiveness was gone. And, you know, the way you do things, uh, the system, you know, systematically, 
you know, just change the way you play football, and that could be a bad thing. I mean, we had enough pride, you know, me, Hampton, you know, Richard, Singletary. We wasn't just going to let it fall apart, but we struggled to really, you know, just really just to play the way we play as people. I mean, we had personalities that we were aggressive. We were, you know, it was go get them, man. When you play with somebody, say we're going to bend but not break. I can't play with getting punched in my face, then I react. And I'm not saying that that's going to happen to these guys because football is different now. And, you know, the system they played under, you know, was was, was good for them. So it's remained to be seen. So, Otis, you look at the 1986 Bears, though, and, and defensively you guys only gave up 187 points, which was an NFL record. 10 to 16 opponents were held to 10 or few, fewer points. 258 yards per game was first in the league. So the results spoke for themselves. Are you describing something different maybe in terms of the approach or maybe the chemistry that was different because Vince Tobin wasn't Buddy Ryan? It's not the chemistry. We are the chemistry. Systematically, you know, when you you, you have an aggressive attack defense and now you do not attack, you know, like Richard Dent was averaging 17 sacks a game. You know, I was averaging 12 sacks a game. Then I went to six sacks a game. You know, Richard went to probably, you know, 12, 13, 14 a game. You know, when you're not aggressive and you're not playing, you're not playing your style, but you're still the same person. You're going to try to make whatever you put out there work. But if it don't, if it ain't the kind of system you're used to and not playing to your personality and not playing to what you're accustomed to, of course it's going to be different. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It's one of the great what-ifs in sports history, how the 85 Bears never got back to a Super Bowl. You're talking about one of the most, if not the single most dominant team in NFL history, could barely win a playoff game the rest of the way. They were one and done in 86 and 87. They won one playoff game in 88. Again, they just could not get over the hump after that broke apart after Buddy Ryan left. And did that have to do with Ryan actually leaving? Did it have to do with something else? Players getting fat and happy. Mike Ditka's coaching as well. Players getting older. Jim McMahon's health. There's a lot that went into that Bears team to make it brilliant and dominant in 85. But we know that the defense was the heart and soul. And there's Otis Wilson talking about how after 85... It just was never the same again. In Arizona, their new head coach is Cliff Kingsbury. He inherits Josh Rosen as his quarterback. But how long will Josh Rosen be the quarterback of the Cardinals? It looks like Kyler Murray is going to end up declaring for the NFL draft. And by most accounts, he might be the second or third or maybe even fourth quarterback taken to this draft. But suddenly there's some thoughts that the Cardinals at number one with Cliff Kingsbury, who has a history with Kyler Murray, might take Kyler number one and then trade Josh Rosen. Is it possible? 
Former All-Pro fullback Lorenzo Neal is part of Joe Lowe and Dibs, a 95-7 the game in San Francisco. Not only thinks it makes sense, but he sounds convinced it's going to happen. With me, it's, it's not even a doubt that it's absolutely 1,000% Dorner lock it up. Here's what you guys have to realize. If you looked at the NFL and you said, name me the two quarterbacks, the young, one of the youngest year, this year in the draft, and one of the older guys who's been on the team forever, who's been in the NFL for years that people thought he's filling, Bradford. Both those quarterbacks, him and Rosen, if you look at them, they look dizzy. And, and at, at, at times, it's just that look of, you know, you look kind of like Manning look, or just like sometimes you're in what's in there. But the guys, can, it doesn't necessarily mean they can't play. If you think about what's in Arizona, if you don't have necessarily a great offensive line and you don't have a great thing, you're talking about this is a thing that can cover up a lot of things. This quarterback can cover up a lot of indeficiencies because of the fact that he can move, he can scramble, and do things that make your offensive line doesn't have to be as good. Look no further than what Russell Wilson's been able to do. Great example. Look When you look at what they've been able to do, you look at the Browns, all of a sudden, Hugh Jackson's gone, and you got a coach that's willing to say, I'm willing to expand and go to what made you well, Baker. Look at Baker Mayfield's numbers, how it went through the roof. Freddie Kitchen stepping absolutely. in really really changed it things. It changed there. the way that the guy played the game because he gave him the liberty to be in that type of system that fit him and not his system, not the coach's, Freddie Kitchen's system. So when you're thinking about what's going on, here's a coach that makes these accusations. He gets the job, and all of a sudden, here's a guy that's been saying he's playing baseball all the time, all of a sudden declares for the draft. You don't think that he's heard those clips. You don't think that this young man and this agent has heard what this coach said months ago, and now the coach is in Arizona. He has the first pick. You're not getting a pass rusher because you already have Jones. You're not going after – you're not going to get a pass Surprisingly, rusher. Arizona's defensive metrics were all somewhat reasonable this year. It was just a terrible offense. Absolutely. Defensively, they are okay. They are not getting – even if they – they were not necessarily going to put that in a defensive player. In my opinion, the Arizona Cardinals, they were either going to trade back because you don't need necessarily a defensive guy. And you look at this young quarterback. You brought this guy in. And you told me, you said, hey, a quarterback, you said yesterday, and you guys been all the same, a head coach needs to be say, his guy. If you're a head coach and you're going to a system and you're a new head coach, and especially with no head coaching experience in the National Football League, no offensive coordinator experience in the National Football League, no coaching in the National Football League, you better give this guy every tool to be successful. Without a doubt, you look at Rose and you say, let's trade him. I got my guy. Why has everyone even wanted this coach in the first place? Because he's a quarterback whisperer. They wanted him because if you look at his success with the quarterback position, it's been pretty good. These quarterbacks that he's had, they've had great numbers, and then it's translated into the National Football League and had success. The Arizona Cardinals, this organization Dibs went through, it has more coaches than anyone uh, when they're 58 years. So if you look at it like that, what makes you think that they would make a logical decision and say, no, let's go build, get another offensive lineman, let's trade this and acquire more picks? No. They gave this guy the new – they gave him the keys to the kingdom. You better let him have it, and you better let him buy and let him open up any door that he wants. And in my opinion, it's Kyler Murray. This is insane. Man, I got to tell you, there is some serious question marks that would come along with that pairing. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury – was 16 games under 500 for his Big 12 career. He was sub-500 overall for his head coaching career at Texas Tech. He takes over the Cardinals, and then they trade away Josh Rosen to bring in a guy who 
is maybe the shortest starting quarterback in NFL history since Doug Flutie. Is that going to work? Are people going to buy on that? I mean, that is a huge risk if you are the Cardinals. If I'm the Cardinals, I let Kingsbury work with Josh Rosen, and perhaps I let somebody else trade into that slot if they really want a quarterback. Maybe they want Dwayne Haskins. Maybe they love Kyla Murray. I don't know, but I don't know why you would bet on Murray who to me feels like he's got a lot more questions than Josh Rosen to be a franchise quarterback. In New England, they're getting ready for the Patriots hosting the Chargers on Sunday. But there's always good grit and angst and frustration in combat between New York and Boston, of course. Bart Scott played for the New York Jets, famous for his can't-wait proclamation after they beat the Patriots in Foxborough in the playoffs a couple of years ago. So, Here he is on WFAN in New York discussing how much he hates going to New England, how much he hates the city of Providence, how much he hates Patriots fans every time that he had to go up there and visit. And the guys at WEEI in Boston got a hold of this audio and had their own thoughts about Bart's thoughts about Providence. Like, if I saw some people in in, in New Providence, I'd want to punch them in the face because I I don't understand. Violence, Bart? Physical Are violence. Are we going to get part? through any of this? But you keep interrupting. Oh, Mark. you want me just to he's, sit? And he's, listen no, to no, him? he's warming up. Uh, okay, but technically, he I, can't. I'll fine. We'll sit back and no, listen. It's, he's it's, not going to punch anybody in the face because there is no New Providence. Well, I've never heard point. of New Providence. Well, it doesn't exist. Okay, I need Danny to be a fan. But when you start pulling my fire alarm at three o'clock in the morning, you outside on the opposing building yelling all night with a microphone. It's like, come on, man. Well, like, it's kind of like, like get like, a life, doesn't like, it? Yeah, it's really. It's like, what are you talking about? Like. You're pulling a fire alarm, and the fire department's coming out. If your team needs that much help, then they don't deserve the win, bro. Like, I think they're good enough by themselves. They don't need you doing some idiotic stuff, you know, putting pressure on on the on the fire department and and the police department because of your team. Yeah, for some stupid stuff, man. Every time, like clockwork, three o'clock. It's called now, a home field advantage, Bart. No, I, I'm, it's I'm called kinda, home I'm, field advantage. I'm kind of with Bart on that one thing. First of all, well, it's eh, illegal. It's eh. illegal, first of all. Well, the team's not doing it. No, 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 no. He's talking about the fans. Yeah, he's but, he's like, he's, the fans. but he's criticizing the team. He's like, you guys shouldn't oh, no, need no, that. He's, he's well, ta- not well, he's saying to do with them. The, team, the Patriots don't need the help. Fans, you don't need to go pull the fire alarm in the hotel at Wake 3 up o'clock at three. in the morning. Home field advantage. I don't you get a nice snooze. I, I hate to say home? it, but I'm kind of with Bart oh, on that of course one. You, of course you're with Bart Scott and Maggie. On that one. Not on that one. Nope, that's home field. That's Miss Green, Maggie, so, to you. So he's like, they don't need to do it. Like, well, they've got a pretty good home record. Or eight no you home think it's just year. they pull the fire Probably. alarm in the hotel in not Providence? Not getting a good snooze the night before a game. <laughs> not here. Not on Patriots fans watch. Not on my watch. Nice you're job. not getting a good sleep. Find that hotel. Nice job by the by Pats the way, fans. He was talking about on the microphone on the building next to I like to that. It. I don't know Some that Some guy on a megaphone? That's that one I've never heard of. Yeah, you get a megaphone. Like, attention, Jets. Attention, Jets. Hey, Bart, Bart Scott, Scott. You suck. Come on. Pretty good stuff. Bart, come on out. I know you're awake, Bart. I know you're awake. That's all you got to do. Screaming. They'll probably let it happen. It's fine. 3 a.m. No big deal. Fire alarm. Some odds gamesmanship. Bart wants to punch you in the face. I feel like that's also an illegal act. I believe that is assault and battery. Two rights don't make a wrong. Or what? (laughs) (laughs) Huh? Uh, Let me have that one back. Hold on. But so that's so he's upset. So he hates. Think about all the places in the league that you have to travel to. Like if I saw some people in in, in New Providence, I'd want to punch them in the face. Okay. So Providence is the worst place to go. 
and, and think the, about all the and cities. The people in it are the worst. Isn't like Buffalo and Detroit still trips? I have some, not to besmirch all of these great cities, but Providence is the worst. I have some some news for Bart. Uh, if we could get a hold of Bart and, and maybe you know, Bart's busy right now. He's, he's on the he's air. On. I, I, he's I just getting ready for Francesca. I just wanted to let him know that if he really has had issues in New Providence, it's because he was in New Jersey. Look, if you were getting two hours of sleep every time you went to that city anyway because somebody was pulling fire alarms or they were on the megaphone all night long keeping you up, you wouldn't remember the actual name of the city either. Providence, New Providence, Old Providence, whatever it is. Bart didn't get any sleep. How can you blame him? It's never pretty when it's radio on radio crime. This is the first salvo sent from WEI in Boston to WFA in New York. I would imagine there's plenty more salvos going back the other way very soon. This week has been an entire week of discussing Clemson's domination of the national championship game over Alabama, especially in Clemson territory in South Carolina. Well, on ESPN Upstate, on the huddle with GMAC and Lonzo, they tackled the question, if and when Nick Saban finally retires and walks away from Alabama, are we going to see... Dabo Sweeney end up back at his alma mater. It is inevitable that the conversation comes back up about the future of uh, Dabo Sweeney. And the question's been asked every year. Will he be lured away by Alabama once Nick Saban decides to hang it up? You remember, it's just a year ago that um, there's stories out about Dan Radakovich, the athletic director at Clemson, making the case that Clemson has demonstrated to Dabo that he could stay there and get to the highest level at Clemson. And certainly nothing happened this year to change that narrative. I would say, Lonzo, that the chances of Dabo leaving for Alabama uh, have taken a healthy little dip given what he's proven he can do at Clemson. I think if you ask this question, you're not a good reporter anymore. It's, it's a boring question. Quit, quit asking this. He's not going anywhere. Why would he leave now with what he has built at Clemson, what they've been able to do? He's built his own legacy. Why go somewhere else where there are other ones? I mean, he surpassed anybody who's ever coached at Clemson, hasn't he? Absolutely. Done that. No so, question about so that. He is the man presently, and he is the man in history in the school where he is right now. Mm-hmm. And He's not slowing down, and the future looks really bright. Why go somewhere else? It just doesn't make sense. 49 years old. The only argument would be that uh, it's one more thing to prove in his career, that he could also win at Alabama and do it at the highest level. But what does that prove? I mean, you're going to a school that's already a winning school, so Mm -hmm. you're just taking over a program from a a winning coach. Yeah, which is not what you want to do, typically. Yeah. (laughs) It's not the usual uh, path to success. That doesn't prove anything. To be the next guy. If he wants to prove something, he needs to go to another losing school and make them a winner again like he did at Clemson. Well, there's almost no chance of that happening, right? I understand you can get tired of the question, but you can bet your sweet bippy that it's coming up when Nick Saban retires what a reference there um that's, a, that's a, as an aged reference yeah and it's pretty sad that i get it mm-hmm. it's from laughing and mm-hmm. i can't believe that i get that mm-hmm. but even even when the guy said that the other guy was like wow like he was shocked mm-hmm. that never i mean here's never. A, here's the thing there was a time where you could say yeah but it's just clemson you can't say that anymore no you, you can't. can't say it's just clemson anymore you can't do that. So I, I think they need to quit asking the question. It won't happen. You can give up on that. It's not going to happen until until Nick is gone and the new guy's hired. Look, I think they're right. I mean, at this point in time, 
Dabo has built the equal, if not the superior, to Alabama. So is he suddenly going to want to race to a different school after everything that he's built at Clemson? And sure, the history and the lineage and the heritage of Alabama is far deeper and far longer than has been at Clemson. And Alabama has all types of resources and all types of money and all types of everything that comes along with those decades of dominance and all of the infrastructure that goes into building a program. But think about this. Would you rather try to win the ACC every year or the SEC every year? I mean, if I'm Dabo, I'm perfectly content where I am. Clemson has ponied up the Bucks. They have all the brand-new facilities. They're clearly paying their assistant coach as well. They're paying for transportation on the recruiting trail to get here and there and everywhere. To me, if you're Dabo Sweeney, you've already proven you can beat Alabama head-to-head and beat them handily. So why would he end up leaving? It doesn't seem like it's an easier job. Yes, the heritage is there, but you still have to get through the SEC West instead of the ACC Coastal. I'll take my chances at Clemson of continuing to be a power. And finally, college basketball. Our friend Gary Parrish on 92.9 in Memphis discussing the emergence of Zion Williamson, not just as a dunker and a human highlight reel, but also as the best college basketball player in the country. You know, Coming into the season, people thought he would be the player that got the most attention because he was famous because of dunks that he created in high school that went viral. But did anybody really think he'd be the best player in the country? I mean, go look. You're not going to be able to find like Zion Williamson preseason player of the year stuff. I don't really think you'll see Zion Williamson preseason first team All-American stuff. But as of this moment, he would be your national player of the year. And then as of this moment, he would be the number one pick in the NBA draft. So he's got an opportunity to do something that's very rare in college basketball. The last time it was done was 2012. And what I mean by that is this. You know, Anthony Davis was the national player of the year who won a national championship and then was the number one pick in the NBA draft. And right now, Zion Williamson's got a chance to do that. He can be the national player of the year, clearly. Duke can be a national champion, clearly. And Zion is the projected number one pick in the NBA draft. And it's starting to become um, a a bit of a consensus. Like, I was talking to an NBA scout uh, earlier this morning, and I asked him, like, is it even debatable in your mind? And he said, I don't think so. Like, not, you know, 6'7", 285, freak athlete, and just posting – you know, numbers unlike anything we've ever seen. His PER right now is like 42, 43, which is astronomical, and nobody else is even close to that. And so uh, the thing I keep hearing from NBA people as it relates to Zion is just don't overthink this. Like, don't try to nitpick him too much. There are issues with him. He's not a, a perfect prospect, but when you get a person this size who can do the things that he can do, um, it's 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 so unique that you just don't want to be the dummy that 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 didn't look at what was staring you right in the face. He's producing like crazy at the collegiate level, and there's really not a whole lot of reason to think he won't produce like crazy at the NBA level as well. Duke as a team, by the way, last night had 13 blocks in the game. And that's the sixth time this season they've had at least 10 blocks in a game. And this is not a, a statistic that we normally talk about, so none of, this might mean, none of this might mean anything without context. But understand, they lead the nation in blocks. They've now had at least 10 blocks in a game six times this season. They've only played 14 games. Six of those 14 games they've had at least 10 blocks. 
in the previous seven seasons, Duke only blocked at least 10 shots in a game three times. Three times in the previous seven seasons. They've done it six times through 14 games this season. So it's the most talented team in the country. It's the number one ranked team in the AP poll in Ken Palm, and they got the best player, too. There's a reason why they're the biggest story in the sport, and it's all of the things I just said. I mean, is it possible Zion is better than we thought? I mean, this is a guy that collected millions of followers in high school for his dunks. And then he gets to college, and he's actually the best overall player in college hoops. That's pretty amazing. And at Duke, it's not exactly easy to outshine everybody else on your roster. You've got other possible top two, top three, top five picks that you're playing with on a nightly basis. But that's what Zion is doing. He's making it must-see basketball or must-see TV every single time that he suits up for Duke. And that is remarkable that somehow, some way. We had all these expectations coming into the season about how great he would be, and he has exceeded all of them. That's the best of your sports talk for Thursday, January the 10th. We'll see you tomorrow, everyone. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 